0: Good evening LCM. Tonight is August 10th, 2023. And the title of our message is lavish reception. Come on, on, think about a lavish reception. Mm -hmm. Maybe one coming up in, say, October. Man, it's going to be an incredible time. We're looking forward to it with every part of our being. Look, tonight Every second on that clock is precious, and every second of your attention is precious to us. So we're going to jump straight into the text. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 tonight. Before we get into verse 1, you should know about his letter. That Peter is writing to the diaspora, and you can see that in 2 Peter 3.1, who he's addressing. You should also know that 2 Peter is the last recorded letter of his life in Scripture, and it is written very soon before his life on earth ends. So with that said, let's jump into verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look, when you're thinking about Peter's statement, a faith of equal standing to ours, who is he talking about? He's talking about himself and the 12 apostles. You see, that's outstanding because of the fact that Peter was there from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Peter witnessed the beginning of his ministry. Peter saw how Jesus dealt with With his own earthly family. Peter saw him walk on water. Peter saw him transfigured. He saw him dead. He saw him resurrected. And he saw him ascending in to heaven. And Peter's been there for every parable, rebuke, and teaching. Peter also saw the dead raised and the fish and bread multiplied. He himself is writing as a direct eyewitness to the faith and superiority of the Son of God. This same Peter has also, he's been a witness, but he's also displayed a faith that parallels that of his own master. When Peter saw him walk on water, what did Peter do? He also walked on water. When Yeshua raised the dead, Peter learned something. And Peter ended up raising the dead. In fact, Peter's shadow healed people. Peter has been obedient to the calling and shepherding the sheep of Messiah as Jesus told him he would be. In every respect, Peter is an outstanding apostle and he, he is an example to follow. As an outstanding example like that, can you see how incredible it is for him to look at other men who were not there from the beginning and say that you have obtained a faith of equal standing to ours? That is incredible. With that being said, let's catch the power of what Peter is trying to state. He's writing that they have obtained a faith of equal standing with his own. Peter was not just a man who was satisfied with him being the one with great faith alone. Peter's life was devoted to raising up others that would have an equal standing with him. In every respect. You see, like the Son of God himself, Peter followed Jesus by by raising others to the same standing and faith that
1: Peter had. That's the example of Yeshua. Come on, what an example to follow. We're going to go on to verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Man, what a powerful statement, isn't it? Grace, the divine empowerment from God to overcome anything and everything that will come your way. The grace of God, the power of God available to us. And peace, shalom, perfect order and harmony with God and man where nothing obstructs your relationship with God. Perfect reconciliation with Him and nothing stands in the way. Come on. Grace and peace be what? Multiplied. Multiplied, Multiplied, increased, like exponentially. This is not be added. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge. Other version says, through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Man, this is key. Peter is not speaking about something that he himself does not have experience with. When he's saying the knowledge, it's because he knows something. Peter is speaking about the multiplication of grace and peace that he himself has experienced through the knowledge of Jesus and of God. He's not speaking of somebody else's testimony. He's speaking of his own testimony of how this has been multiplied through his knowledge of God. This knowledge is not philosophical or based on any kind of imagination. He has first-hand knowledge, and he knows Jesus intimately, and so did Jesus, by the way. They knew each other intimately, and Peter saw the Word. He read the Word through that intimacy. This intimate and deep knowledge of Jesus multiplied, like exponentially increased his empowerment over sin. Isn't that, have you ever cried out for empowerment over sin? Yeah. Man, can I have the grace of God? Can I have peace with God? Well, he gives us the key. It's multiplied through the knowledge of of God man surely when speaking about the multiplication of grace and peace through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ he must have been meditating on the words of Jesus when he said in Peter's proximity that this is eternal life that they may you that they, that they may know you that is God the Father the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent
0: did you catch that connection in verse 2 He said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of who? God the Father, and of Jesus our Lord. He's remembering Jesus saying, this is eternal life that they may know you, God the Father, and the only true God, and Jesus Christ the Son whom you sent. Peter's knowledge was not just a head knowledge that he attained from listening to rabbis, from studying books about Jesus or rabbis. Peter had an intimate knowledge. So when you're reading about grace and peace being multiplied through knowledge, you should think of what Peter's actually talking about. He's talking about his own knowledge of God and the Messiah by walking with him, interacting with him, and speaking with him. Let's move to verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This divine power shows up several times in scripture. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul says that this power is available through the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul states this divine power Causes us to be able to have weapons that demolish strongholds. Peter is saying his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. However, he states this divine power is only available through the knowledge of him. There's a caveat. He has granted to us these things through our knowledge of him. Peter is getting at the fact... That this statement must cause us to pursue an intimate knowledge of him. Did you catch the the point in verse 3 where he says, he called us to his own glory? Did y'all get that? He says plainly, he called us to his own glory and excellence. You're going to see this as a major theme in this letter. By the way, some translations say he called us by his glory and excellence. The truth is, it's both. In the context of Peter's letter, though, you will see that he is talking about the ultimate calling of the saints to the same glorification that Jesus underwent. He says you were called to his glory and excellence. Church, we want to say unequivocally, This is the gospel. The gospel is the fact that you are called to the same glory and excellence that Jesus Christ has. The gospel is that we experience the same bodily glorification through the resurrection that Jesus experienced. And remember above all things, why is Peter writing this? Because he experienced it
1: personally. Hey, do we have people in this room who love scriptures? Do you want to get something precious from tonight? So we want you to be engaged in what we're talking about. Okay? The Father, like, met with us while we were studying. He enlightened the scriptures to us. And what we're sharing with you is not some cheap material. It's something that came from heaven itself, and we're excited about it. And we want you to be excited as well. Verse 4. By which he has granted us, granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he starts by which? And we got to tell you by which what? What is he talking about? By his own glory and excellence, he granted us these promises. Which promises? Yeah. They have to be the promises through which we become partakers of the divine nature.
0: Well, they- hold on for a second. Yeah. <laughs> we read this verse last night and we asked ourselves, which promises is he talking about here? We understand that all of the promises of God are made in his glory and excellence. We get that. Yeah. But we're asking ourselves, could there be a moment that Jesus, or I'm sorry, could there be a moment that Peter saw the glory of ex- and excellence of Jesus and Jesus might
1: have made a promise in that glorified state? Well, that will, that's what made us go to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach him. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty clean. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the clouds. And this is what it said. This. Is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around. They no longer saw anyone with them. But Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain. He charged them to tell no one. What they had seen. Hear this. Until the son of man had risen from the dead. What? Yeah. Until the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves. Questioning what this rising from the dead might mean.
0: Did you catch the promise?
1: (laughs) So they're, they're puzzled. At this point, he's talking about resurrection, and they don't know what he's talking about. What does this mean? But he was, in the moment, in a transfigured body, in the glory and excellence of Jesus himself, he was giving them a promise. Peter now knows exactly what this rising from the dead means. He didn't know back then, but now he does, or at this time he does, meaning because he witnessed it. He knows that he will experience the resurrection just as Jesus did, and as he wrote it in 1 Peter 1.3, he said that he had been born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter said that it was his divine glory and excellence that brought about these promises, that these promises had been granted. Surely Peter witnessed the greatest display of Jesus' glory and excellence here at the Transfiguration. And now he understands that he will also rise to be in a glorified and excellent state like Jesus himself. Now, hear this, just like Jesus himself. Not like a downgraded version of that. All of this so that we may partake of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world, Now, it's interesting that this doesn't say, so that you will escape in the future. Having escaped the corruption of the world. This lets us know that you have escaped, you are escaping, and you will escape the corruption of the world. But we don't diminish the fact that right now, we have escaped the corruption of the world. And we're standing holy ground. We have partaken of that divine nature. We are partakers of that divine nature, and we will be further partakers of that divine nature. Hallelujah. Let's go on 2 Peter 1 5 through 8.
0: So, from that thought, listen to ne- Peter's next thought. Yeah. From the thought of it was his glory and excellence that he called us to, we saw it on the mountain. Yeah. We saw that glory and excellence. And in that state, he made a promise to us, he's going to rise from the dead. Peter's understanding is that he will also rise just like Christ rise. And then he makes this statement. For this very reason. That's key. For what reason? Because of the fact that we have the very great and precious promises. Because of the fact That we are going to resurrect just like Christ resurrected. For this very reason. Because of the ultimate goal of our faith. The resurrection and glorification with Christ. We have to understand that everything Peter is about to say. For the next coming verses. Is for this very reason. Now in the next verses. He is going to tell us how to get there to the resurrection and glorification. Let's
1: continue verse 5. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Make every effort. Does that sound optional for you? This is not a suggestion, it is a command, and not only is it a command, it's an urgent command. He wouldn't say make every effort if, you didn't, if he didn't feel like you need to throw everything away so that you focus on these things.
0: In fact, this phrase, make every effort, only shows up in this text in the entire Bible.
1: Wow. Yeah, It is because of this, this is how we attain the resurrection of the dead. This is how important and vital is. He's saying, for this reason, make every effort. He's leading us, everything that he's telling us is for that purpose. And he says, supplement, that is add, equip, build up your faith with these things. Peter started his letter encouraging them about the preciousness of their faith, a faith of equal standing with Peter himself that they had obtained. However, as precious as their faith was, it was not meant to be all by itself, alone, not being supplemented. It had to be supplemented with more. Precious, that precious faith had to be supplemented. He's speaking to men that have obtained an equal faith to the twelve apostles, and now he's giving them an understanding that, they must, that this faith must carry with them a continual accompaniment of seven qualities. James 2.14 puts it perfectly, that he says that what good is it if we have a very precious faith, but we do not have works? Well, if we don't have those works, that faith it really isn't very precious, is it? Actual precious faith that is of equal standing with the apostles causes these seven qualities to grow.
0: Let's take a look at these seven qualities that he lists. You'll remember this slide from Sunday. Fruitful and effective imaging. The qualities that Peter says you have to make every effort to add to your faith. And all for the reason so that you can attain to the resurrection of the dead is this. Virtue. Moral excellence, strength, and courage to do good to others. Knowledge. In this passage, this is the knowledge of his will and who he is. Self-control. This refers to having brought yourself under the control of his will and his spirit. Steadfastness. This refers to the ability to endure in virtue, knowledge, and self-control while in a hostile environment. Godliness. This refers to being so wholly devoted to the attributes of Adonai that you are imitating his behavior. Brotherly affection. This refers to having divinely inspired, familial, sacrificial, and loving actions towards the body of Christ and love. This refers to having selfless, sacrificial, and loving actions towards all men because of the foundational faith that Adonai has given you as you participate In the divine nature. So, with that said, let's move on to verse 8 and listen to this. For if these qualities are yours and, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's start by stating Peter's realization that we must possess these qualities. That's a good start, right? Yeah. And we have to possess them in increasing measure. They have to be growing in our lives over time. Peter's whole point is that to attain the resurrection of the dead, we have to increase the measure of these things in our life. You know what's interesting about that is Colossians 2.9 says, The fullness of deity dwells in Christ bodily. God is the one who embodies these qualities. And as Colossians 2.9 and Colossians 1.19 says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. So he himself, Christ, possesses these seven qualities in the fullness. That's incredible, isn't it? Christ possesses all of those seven qualities in the fullness. They are not increasing to a measure in Christ. They are at its fullest state in Christ. And we would say that it's overflowing. You see, we are called to possess these qualities in increasing measure. Christ has those measures in a full measure. But we are called to increase the measure of these things in our life. You know what that really means? We have to increase into the stature of Christ. And all for the point so that we can receive them in their fullness at the resurrection of the dead. You see, as Christ has the fullness of these qualities, we are increasing into Christ because we will be given the fullness of those qualities too at the resurrection of the dead. Jesus possessed the fullness of these qualities. And we want to submit to you tonight that even Jesus still had to be perfected in sufferings. So that he could increase in these qualities until he reached the telio of Jesus' faith. That's an astounding fact, isn't it? We're not going to get sidetracked on that, but just think about it. Jesus Christ possessed the fullness and he was always increasing into the fullness. You see, Peter had the extreme benefit of seeing Jesus being perfected. Jesus never sinned. He was always increasing in these qualities. And therefore, by never decreasing in them, he continued to possess the fullness of God. Peter's witness of Jesus' life on earth has led Peter to list these qualities in this specific fashion. Why do you th- how do you think Peter got such a list? He's writing on... The witness and knowledge of what he's seen in Jesus' life. And that led him to tell men that you have to increase in the same way that Jesus increased. Peter's witness of Jesus' life led him to list these qualities in this specific fashion. On a progressive order. As building blocks upon one another. Because that is how he saw them at work in Jesus' life. We want to show you this slide again. So that you can see... What Peter is trying to show us. So as we go through these next passages, we want to leave this slide on the screen. So you can look at it, and we're going to walk you through how Jesus possessed virtue. And then how he began to add to
1: his virtue knowledge. Would you like to see that? Well, virtue. You're going to stay there. We're going to go to Matthew 7, verse 12. He says... So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus possessed virtue as a man serving his heavenly Father on earth. He continually walked in moral excellence, as defined in the Torah and the leading of the Holy Spirit. He never failed to exhibit strength and courage. To do what was right as defined by the word of God. And he did it to others around him. You know what? This was despite of how tired, how hungry, how discouraged he might have been. This was, this, this, this was not dependent on the weather or how many people came to bug him. His virtue was not depending on circumstance or the amount of stress and responsibility that was on his shoulders. That is interesting. I mean, that, that speaks to me today. Matthew 7, 12, we read it. Whatever you want, whatever you wish others that would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus taught that the highest form of virtue, hear this, is to actually do for others what you would like done unto you, in accordance with all the law and the prophets. Jesus was not a man that taught only. You know this. He first did, and then he taught. And he fulfilled his teaching every day of his life. By meeting the needs of others. Jesus was a virtuous man. He never lied. He never stole or cheated anyone. He respected authority. He protected the weak. His virtue was the foundation for all the other traits that would be put upon his faith. That His faith was continually supplemented and continually increased upon the foundation of virtue. Men, that speaks to many of us today. Have you ever struggled with actual... With being virtuous? Walking in moral character and strength? Yes. Yes. That is the foundation of what everything else that we're going to talk about today.
0: And that's what Peter saw as the foundation in Jesus' life. He saw that his moral excellence, his strength, and his courage to do good to others... At, allowed something else to be supplemented to that. From that basis, Jesus' virtue... Peter was able to see Jesus' virtue supplemented by knowledge. John 5, 19 through 20 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself Is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. You see, Jesus was a man who increased daily in his knowledge of who his father was and what his will was for him. Jesus increased in the knowledge of what the will was for his own life. From the time that Jesus was a boy, questioning the rabbis about the scripture to his daily reliance upon the word in his ministry, even to the continual waiting for the appropriate timing to act when God wanted him to act. Jesus relied upon the knowledge of his father's will in an ever-increasing fashion throughout his life. Peter consistently saw Jesus going to places so that he could seek the father so that he, Jesus, So that Jesus could know him more intimately and reflect him perfectly through his actions. Jesus continually sought the will of his father. And Peter took note of this. Peter's recording this and saying, you must have the same. He also got to witness that Jesus did not stop at simply knowing the father and his will. Peter witnessed Jesus supplement his knowledge of God with the self-control to do his will. And this, Jesus did in an ever-increasing fashion.
1: So you have virtue, you add knowledge, and to that knowledge of God and His will, you add the self-control to actually do that will. Amen. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. He sought the will of the Father, and then what did He do next? He submitted himself. He had self-control to submit to the will of the Father. Peter saw Jesus increase in that self-control to do the will of God to the very end. With Self-control is not just the ability to refrain yourself from the evil that you should not do. Self-control is the ability to be led by the Spirit of God to do exactly what he wants you to do. Yeah. And Jesus never decreased his self-control to the Father. And even at the very end in his life, the biggest trial of his life, he demonstrated the ultimate proof of self-control. Jesus' mastery over his own will, his own emotions, everything that may have been going in his brain and mind and heart, was put under control to the will of the Father. God caused Peter to see something else supplementing Jesus' self-control. You know what that was? Steadfastness. The word steadfastness in the Greek is hupomone. And you know this word, which means endurance or patience. So let's go to Luke 21, verse 16.
0: We're about to see steadfastness increasing in Jesus' life. In verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, by your steadfastness, you will gain your lives. You see, Jesus' self-control in the many moments of his life produced a life of endurance and steadfastness in the will of God. He did not just have a few moments in which he was a man controlled by the Spirit. But instead, all of his decisions were made in submission to the Spirit, which required increasing endurance in Jesus' life. And can we say, it did increase. He was continually hated by all men. And in the end, he was put to death. But he never once decreased in his endurance. He increased in his endurance until the very giving of his life at the end. He truly endured to the point of death. And because of his faithful steadfastness and endurance, he gained the resurrection life that God had promised him. That's how he can teach his disciples to do the same. Again, we want to remind you that Peter was a first-hand beneficiary of Jesus' example. Peter was there when all of this happened. He was able to understand that the growing endurance inside of Jesus caused Jesus to image God as Jesus displayed
1: True godliness or godlikeness. Keep in mind, godliness or godlikeness is the word Eusebia. That is, devotion to what is good. John 14 verse 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you do not still know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus' endurance, hupomone, to do the Father's will, was supplemented with a steadfast devotion To being like his father in every way, doing every single thing that the father would do, Jesus continued to increase in his devotion to be like his father his entire life. Let me engage with this a little bit. You, we we think we think that everything that Jesus just did, everything smoothly, easy, it just came to him naturally. He didn't have to like think about it or suffer through it. No, his devotion was to represent him. Every single day by increasing in every measure virtue, knowledge, self control, endurance, and we're getting here to a place where that brings him to increase in godlikeness a devotion to be exactly like God Himself. This is probably starting to get clearer and clearer for you, but Peter saw the godliness or the godlikeness of Jesus and understood that Jesus's godliness produced an additional revelation. That supplemented Jesus' godly godly quality. Jesus' godliness was supplemented with brotherly affection. Philadelphia at every turn. Check this out
0: with us at John 20 verse 17. And this is probably one of the most moving passages to my own soul. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go... To my brothers. And say to them. I am ascending. To my father. And your father. To my God. And your God. Are you starting to see. That Jesus devotion to reflect the father. Caused him to see the disciples. As with brotherly affection. That'll preach. But that's for another message. Because he reflects the father's affection. He bears witness to the fact that they share the same father and that allowed him to look at these men as true brothers. Jesus, the man who is himself, the word of God made flesh, the righteous one, the prophet. He genuinely saw these men as brothers. You may be thinking Jesus is saying that so he can elevate them or maybe even inspire them to live up to that standard. What I would do? Nope. This passage seems pretty clear. The first thing that he wants to do after he has died and come back to life is to see his brothers. Now that you got that, remember that Peter saw all of this. He's the one that Jesus called a brother. Peter recognized that Jesus flourished in brotherly affection because his brotherly affection had love
1: supplemented to it. Man, love. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another in any way you want, as I have loved you. Man, I think Peter took note of that. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So in our our earlier passage, Jesus called Peter and the twelve brothers, and the twelve brothers. And you know, the, what the beauty of this is that he could not wait after the resurrection to be able to see them again and tell them that everything was fine, that he was okay. Hey, I'm still alive! <laughs> I want y'all to know I'm good! <laughs> In this passage, Jesus not only calls them brothers, but he calls them friends. Yeah. And some of, you, some of you with brothers know that that's uh, how significant that is that you're also brothers and friends. The reason that Jesus feels this way about these men is because he loved them with the greatest kind of love. The love, enough love to lay his life down for them. You see how his godliness brought him to be able to see his brothers rightly? His godliness brought him to a place where he could see them as God saw them. And having seen them as God saw them, what did he do next? He laid his life down because he loved them. Jesus' attributes were continually increased and supplemented by one another. The reason Jesus feels this way about this man is because he loved them like the fathers loved them. Jesus increased all the days of his life in love. Can you believe that? Always selflessly and sacrificially serving his brothers and friends. This did not come up just... Innately, he saw a moment to sacrifice and he did it. We have that reflection at the cross. He increased in this in his life all the way to the point of making the ultimate sacrifice, laying his life down physically.
0: Now let's talk about how that relates to Peter's letter. Peter is talking about how you attain the resurrection of the dead. And he's writing the things that he saw increasing in Jesus. And he's saying that for one reason. Why? Why? Well, this next slide is going to show you why. Jesus supplemented his faith. And Peter is telling you that you must too. In the very same way. You must move from having a saving and precious faith. To being upright and obedient. To having virtue. And then adding to that. Having a revelation of his will. The knowledge. And then from that, supplementing it with. To being submitted to his will. Self-control. From that, supplementing that with enduring in doing his will that is having steadfastness from steadfastness to being devoted to being like the father that is godliness from godliness adding to that to seeing your brothers as the father sees them that's brotherly affection from brotherly affection adding to that to loving your brothers as the father loves them i.e. laying down your life for them The progression in Jesus' life starts with virtue and moral excellence, but it is a constant addition to laying down your life for your brothers. This is how Jesus was received in heaven with glory and excellence because he added to the point of laying down his life for his brothers. That is the entire point of what Peter is trying to get you to get. Remember that the whole reason that Peter is sharing this with you is so that you can receive the great and precious promise of the resurrection and be transformed into his glory and excellence. His point in sharing these qualities with you is that this is how Jesus himself attained the resurrection of the dead. Jesus continually increased in these qualities and therefore was elevated to his heavenly position. For you to be elevated to the same, you must do the same. Now we know that Jesus was perfect, and he never failed once. Therefore, he always increased in these qualities. However, the truth is, sometimes we decrease instead of increasing. Thankfully,
1: Peter's next verse is going to answer this problem for us. Have you ever felt decreasing instead of increasing? Oh, this verse is for you. 2 Peter 1, verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, that he is blind. Wow. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, we must tell you the truth. I did not understand this before we studied it last night. Lacking these qualities is a symptom of forgetting what you have been cleansed from. The answer to stagnancy, to feeling like you're not moving forward and you're not producing fruit, is to remember where you have what you have been cleansed from. Where have you come from? What has he done? That pushes you forward to know what you have been cleansed for. You have been cleansed for increasing in these qualities and from all the fields that we used to live in. That causes us to increase in fruit, to increase in fervency, to add to our faith these qualities. That causes us to be productive. And with that revived faith, we can add all these qualities to it. Let's go on to verse 10.
0: Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Promise. promise. How does Peter know that you will never fall? (laughs) Peter can know that you will not fall because he watched Jesus practice these qualities and Jesus never fell. You know that if you're not increasing, you're decreasing. If you're not moving forward in the kingdom, it is automatic backward. Like an upwards escalator. But practicing these qualities like Jesus did will bring you into an ever-increasing measure of the fullness of Christ.
1: Verse 11. For in this way.
0: In what way?
1: In this way. When you're adding these qualities, when you're being diligent, when you're making every effort. In this way, there will richly There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and and Savior Jesus Christ. A rich entrance like a lavish reception. Like a lavish reception into the kingdom of God in this way will be provided to you. Remember the context of this letter. Peter is near the end of his life. Peter saw Jesus glorified on the mountain. And he also saw Jesus ascend Into heaven. Peter saw Jesus receive a lavish and a rich welcome into his kingdom. He saw him ascend. And he is saying that this way a rich entrance will be provided to us as well. For Peter to say this is truly astounding. He witnessed Jesus do this going into heaven. He heard Jesus speak of going to the Father, and now Peter is reflecting on that and saying that in the same way that Jesus was received, he must be received as well. But this is only, only if we possess those qualities and actually grow in them. Peter's intention and goal in admonishing the disciples to make every effort to add these seven qualities to their faith is because that it is in this way, that this reception would be provided to them. Peter's mind, you have to understand that Peter has nothing else in his mind. This is propelling everything that he does, everything that he says. From the beginning, he's been talking about the resurrection. He's been talking about honor and glory. He's been talking about how to, for this reason, he does these things. And then he moves on to give his advice of what to add to his faith. He has one thing in mind. And you know what that is? That he would be able to be received in the same way that Yeshua was received into his kingdom. Right. He only has one thing in mind that propels his thoughts, his endurance, his adding of his faith, the virtue and knowledge and self-control, and everything is being compounded in li- in Peter's life because he saw his master go on to glory, go on to receive honor and glory, and he is encouraged, he's admonished, he's revived by that kind of reception.
0: You see, Peter is not going to settle personally himself for a reception into heaven that is inferior or diminished to the one that his Lord revealed to him. Therefore, Peter himself is deciding to make every effort to add to his faith the same qualities that he saw added to the faith of the Lord. And you can hear Peter's longing in this text to receive the same thing that Jesus received. He's writing this to the people because he can't wait at the end of his life for his own lavish reception into heaven. Which leads him to verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter's dying words to these men is I will always remind you of these qualities. You see, Ephesians 4.13 makes it plain That the five-fold ministry is a gift to the church so that they can attain the full measure of the statue statue of Christ. Peter is now the end of his life, having increased in the same qualities as Jesus. And now he's spending his last moments on earth trying to ensure that these seven qualities are being magnified in the men around them. The fact that Peter is exemplifying these seven qualities is evidenced by his ability to transfer them to others by way of example. He is emulating Jesus in the sense that Jesus demonstrated for Peter how to possess, practice, and inque- increase these qualities. And now Peter is emulating them for his brothers. Remember, Peter said in verse 8 that these qualities will prevent you from being ineffective and unfruitful. He knows this because Peter's living a fruitful life. And he is gaining an effective yield in this season in his life in the men around him. He is building up other men to have a faith of equal standing. To be truly effective and fruitful is to emulate these qualities
1: in Christ and to be an example to others of their increase. Come on. Since Peter is being fruitful and multiplying, in verse 13 he says, I think you would right, as long as I'm in, the, in this body, to stir you up. By way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Man, a soberness kicks in when you know that the putting off of your body is soon. As our Lord Jesus made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. It's interesting that he first says, make every effort to add these qualities to your faith. And you know what he says here? I will make every effort so that you will not forget these things, so that you will actually add these things to your faith. Peter is not just content with telling them, make every effort. Peter is the perfect reflection of Yeshua at this point in time, and he himself is making every effort to raise up others to be exactly like him. Peter is not content with to be the only one that has a lavish reception. He's bringing others that they would have the same lavish reception into heaven that he's going for.
0: Come on, that's incredible, isn't it? Look, we're going to pick up the pace again get it a, a little bit as we get into verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, Peter is rooting this entire letter in the fact that nothing of what he's writing about is a myth. Just the opposite, Peter himself was an eyewitness of his majesty. He again, for the second time in this chapter, remembers in his writing the transfiguration event when he saw his friend, his brother, his Lord and Messiah receive a taste of what he would be given fully in the future. You are now finally starting to see that Peter's last recorded letter is a reflection on his time with Jesus and how he received
1: honor and glory from the Father at the mountain. The honor and glory... That Jesus received was at the moment of being transformed into the uncorrupted and divine form, but also being told some very important words. These were the words that the Father spoke on that mountain. He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I, I am well pleased. That is receiving honor and glory from the Father himself. That is what Peter is recalling every single time and that's why he's telling us that if we increase in these qualities we will not be unproductive or ineffective. If you are a faithful servant what do you do? You multiply what is being given to you. And Jesus did so, Peter did so and he and they both are admonishing the disciples that they would also add these things to their faith so that they would be fruitful and effective faithful servants, that they would hear the same words from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well done, my good and faithful servant.
0: See, why is, why is Peter including this not once but twice? Because Peter from that moment must have spent his life in anticipation of being told the same thing as he would be re- reunited with Jesus. Peter's longing for himself and for the disciples was for them to be received with such lavish reception and to be told the same words, you are my son whom I love. In, this, in, the, in fact, we want to show you that this is not the first time that Peter is reflecting on this in his letters. We're going to give you a couple examples. In 1 Peter 1, 6 through 6-7, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. You see, Peter is anticipating for his life and that of his brothers that the glory and honor that Jesus received And in the same way, he is eagerly expecting to receive the same glory and honor when Jesus returns at the wedding of the Lamb. His message in light of this is to rejoice in suffering because suffering refines your faith. Peter experienced the refining of his faith many times over. And now he's at a position where he is longing for the praise that will come from Jesus in his glory.
1: Peter has this hope Peter has this mind, and that is his target. In 1 Peter 1, 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have various verses that we could go on. Peter had one thing in mind when he wrote these letters, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He had in mind the lavish reception. He had in mind the time that was coming that would not delay, where he would actually have to meet his master, his creator, his disciple face to face. And that would, and for him, a lavish reception was all that mattered. What mattered was being told, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what propelled his faithfulness in every single time of his life.
0: He wrote it twice, he wrote it three times in first Peter four twelve through thirteen. He says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though something strange were happening. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, you can see that Peter's instructions carry with it the heart of a man who has suffered for his faith and obedience, and yet He possessed a great longing for the glory of Jesus to be revealed to him and in him. This is what allowed Peter, and this is what allows us to smile in the face of trials, knowing that if we suffer like Jesus suffered, we will receive the same glory that he received. How about 1 Peter 5 1 through 4?
1: So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering, witness again, of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Man, Peter only knows one thing. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Man, and this is the reason. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. Can you get Peter's emphasis in his writings? Can you get that he is excited about one thing? Yeah. One thing drives his actions, his thoughts, his shepherding. His, everything is the revelation of Christ and him being united with him. Jesus Christ told him, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come to receive you unto myself. And Peter cannot get those words out of his mind. See, we don't need to keep saying this because you're starting to get it, but it's too good to pass up.
0: Peter is addressing the elders as partakers of the glory that will be revealed. He also admits that he is a fellow elder longing for the same thing. Peter is the man that Jesus personally told, feed my sheep. And at this point, he has been faithful to do so, and now he longs for the unfading crown of glory that will be given to him shortly. From that vantage point, he is urging these men to willingly and eagerly shepherd the flock that is under his care. This expectation of glory must transfer to how we lead as elders, pastors, husbands, and wives. That is Peter's vantage point. In that expectation, serve willingly. Look, let's finish out our chapter in Second Peter. Second Peter 1, 19 through 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy has ever, ever, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know now that Peter intimately knew Jesus, and he searched the scriptures through that intimacy. Peter himself had the prophets more fully confirmed. And he heard Jesus in John five thirty nine when he said, These are the scriptures that testify about me. He saw the living and breathing Torah, and then went to study the Tanakh and found it more confirmed. His own experience caused him to put an even greater hope in the truth of what the scriptures say. Peter closes this chapter by assuring you as a first-hand witness that the day will dawn and the morning star will rise. Church, you now can have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. As we have the testimony of thousands of men who have increased in their faith, like Peter, And have gone on to receive their lavish reception like Peter. Peter eagerly awaited his time to be received into the glory and honor of Jesus. And he deserved it. And that showed up in his increase of the qualities of Jesus. And their transferal in the men around them. So we have to ask. Are you eagerly awaiting the expectation of the hope and glory and excellence of Jesus Christ? Because if you are it'll show up in these seven qualities increasing in your life. Look, we want to share with you one last passage
1: before we close, and we're going to make this quick, but it's good. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, LCM. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With treasure in the heavens, that does not fail. There, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action. That sounds like Peter's words. Yeah. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. Who is he? Jesus. Jesus will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. Look, if Jesus serving your table is not a picture of honor and glory being given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. Jesus is telling a parable and relating to the moment that his glory will be revealed at the wedding of the Lamb. He's exhorting the people around him to always be ready and have their lamps burning. And notice that he says that they must be like men who actually wait for their master to come home from a wedding feast. Jesus is relating to the wedding of the Lamb and plainly stating that when the wedding is over, at the lavish reception... He himself is going to personally serve those at the wedding feast that have kept their lamps burning. Those that have been faithful to keep their lamps burning.
0: Let's listen to verse 38. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You... Also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Isn't it funny that it's Peter speaking up? You see, in the early years of Peter's discipleship, this has Peter's gears turning. Peter was the one who spoke up because of the shocking idea of being served at the lavish reception. And it caught his attention. Peter's also the one who speaks up when Jesus washed his feet in John 13. Notice how Jesus doesn't seem to answer Peter's question in the next verses. At least in the Peshat. Verse 42, And the Lord said, Who who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Jesus does not respond to Peter by directly speaking to him and answering his question. But you know what he does? Jesus does begin to speak about what Peter would become. Come on. Peter would be told in John 21, feed my sheep. Of course, this was probably not clear to Peter in Luke 12, but from the point of John 21 to the rest of Peter's life, he must have understood in increasing measure that he himself and the 12 were the subjects of this parable. They would become faithful and wise managers. They would become men who gave the proper portions of food to the rest of the master's household. No doubt that Peter remembered this moment in the time of his writing. Of second Peter and now Peter is a man who is longing to be set over all of the master's possessions because he knows that Jesus was speaking about
1: him 45 but if that servant says to himself my master is in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Isn't that sober? In the first part, he says that he himself will serve the faithful ones. He himself will sit you at the table and serve you. But the opposite of that is that he will cut you into pieces and put you with the unfaithful. When When Jesus is encouraging towards faithfulness towards increasing productivity and effectiveness in God's kingdom, who then is the wise and faithful servant? He lets you have a look at both sides of the coin. He lets you see that there's glory on one end, and there's destruction in another. But then he says, who then will be the faithful servant? He said, Peter, will you rise with me to be that faithful servant? Will you do that, Peter? Because yes I'm talking to you and yes we're talking to all of you right now will you rise to be the faithful servants will you rise in the to the, with the desire of receiving glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua with only one goal and one hope in mind with one desire with something that drives you to live your life in a way that is fruitful and increases Not because of what men may say, or what men may think about you, or how well you would think about yourself, but because of the words that you're waiting for the Father and the Son to say about you. Well done, my good and faithful servant.
0: My friends, we have reached the end of the message, and we have clearly abused our time. But we can tell you with certainty that Peter heeded Jesus' warning. He anticipated the glory that his friend and brother Jesus received and he longed for the same glory to be revealed to him. This caused him to increase in the same qualities that Jesus increased in so that he would receive the same glory that Jesus received. Church tonight, we urge you in the name of Jesus to be men and women who long for his appearance. We urge you to wet your heart's desire to be made like him so that in the end, you will be made like him in all of his glory and excellence. This will cause you to want to increase in those seven qualities at every turn. Do you guys want that? Then stand up with us. Mighty God, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ever increasing nature of his virtue. All the way to the end of laying his life down. Lord we thank you for the example of men like Peter. Who longed for your appearing. We ask now that you would wreck our hearts. So that we long for your appearing in the same way. We want to eagerly desire our lavish reception in your kingdom.